Thank you, Julio. Thank you. I appreciate you too. So yeah, somebody came to the church this week with a therapy dog with her, and she was just walking through the halls, this cute little therapy dog, and um, and the dog's name was Carl. And so I heard this lady saying, "Good, good, Carl, sit, Carl, sit, good, no, easy, Carl." While I was walking down the hall, I don't often see a dog named Carl, but I met a dog named Carl this week. So just wanted to let you know. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, it is, in case you want to know who the real Patrick was, is an actual human being uh, named Patrick who loved Jesus and uh, uh, was actually taken as a slave from his homeland and escaped from slavery and went back home. And then he went back to the land of his captors in order to share the gospel with them. True story. Uh, brought the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you see somebody with green on, just say, hey, I love missionaries sharing the gospel too. Just like, because I'm sure that's why they're all at the parades to celebrate the gospel going forth. All right. Well, uh, last, last week we talked about uh, worship. We, we talked about what is worship, just as kind of a starting point of what worship is. There are people all around this, 7 billion people in this world, and it seems like everyone has different ideas of what worship is and what it means. So we wanted to look at the Bible and, and, uh, and this idea of worship came out uh, from the word. Uh, when you worship, what you're doing is you're expressing what something is worth uh, to you. So it's a way that we express the worth of God. What is God worthy of? What do you guys think? It, uh, everything. He's worthy of praise. If he really is God, if he's, if he's real and he's who he says he is, um, then he is worthy of everything. So worship or worship is really offering everything. Romans 12 says, uh, it says, because of God's mercy, I invite you to offer your bodies, your whole self as an act of worship. And the Bible calls that worship. When you say, God, my life belongs to you. That's, that's worship. Um, but I want to talk this week about how are we supposed to worship? Uh, because there are so many different ideas, like I said. Like, does God really care how we worship as long as we worship? Have you ever wondered? I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions just to think about. Does God really care as long as you mean it? Does he really care how you worship? Because sometimes people will say things like, well, when I walk out in nature, that's worship for me. I've heard people say, when I go out fishing, early on a Sunday morning. That's church for me. Uh, when I get alone with God, that's really worship for me. When I feed the hungry or do a good deed, that's, that's worship for me. Some, a lot of times I heard the phrase, I like to worship in my own way. Or sometimes even a worship leader will say, why don't you all just worship in your own way? Um, some other things that I've heard. Um, when I'm in church, I've heard somebody say, when I'm in church and I just zone out and I feel like I'm gone into this kind of a trance so that I don't even realize I'm there, then I know I'm really worshiping. All right, so think about, think about that. Is that what God, how God describes worship? Somebody says, uh, I've heard somebody say, when, when the songs are getting really loud and it, we just really impacted and I feel goosebumps all over, that's really worship. Now I know I'm really worshiping. You know, and maybe you need a fog machine to kind of make that happen. But if I'm there and I'm really into it and I just feel goosebumps, then I know that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Now I know that I'm really worshiping. Other people might say, well, real worship has to be with faithful, traditional hymns of the faith like I grew up on. 
Others might say, I need worship to be exciting with driving electric guitars and some dancing or else it's, or with a great band or else it's not worship for me. Some would say, well, to each his own. It's all based on your preferences. So here, uh, and then there's still another group, who, a group of quotes where people might say, well, I worship by going to the spirits of the universe, and I'm very sincere, and I really mean it, and I talk to the spirits that are out there. We had a, I had a guy come into the church once, and he said, I just want to tell you about how, you know when you look up in the, at, in the sky and you see these cloud formations? He told me, you know, those are actually really angels, and I know how to speak to them. So he was telling me this is how he worships, as he sees the cloud formations, and he knows exactly how to, uh, how to speak to them and how to worship. Um, I, I've heard other people say, you know, as long as I meditate and I take deep breaths and I order the energy in myself and I empty my mind and I become more spiritually aware of the divine spark within me, then I'm really worshiping. All these people can't be right. Right? I mean, the, well, the question is, does God really care how we worship? It's easy for us to think, well, as long as we mean it, then, then that's fine. Are we all just making this up as we go along? Is it just our imagination? Does each person just kind of get to imagine, okay, this is worship for me, and so this is how I'm going to do it. And, and I just determine this is what worship is going to look like for me. But we're missing the question, what does God want? Does it matter to God how we worship? Or is all of that stuff that I just listed, is that all cool with him? It's an important question. Is there one right way to worship God or not? And the answer might surprise you. We'll see. So I told you uh, last week, God set out with a plan thousands of years ago, actually before that, a plan to set apart a people for himself. In Exodus chapter 19, he said, I'm going to set apart this people for myself, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and they're going to belong to me. And then in the New Testament, we see that that is fulfilled in the people who've put their faith in Christ, that they are a part of this, this people that God is setting apart as his worshipers. Right? So this is his plan, something that he is doing. And then uh, how many of you guys have heard of the, uh, the Old Testament uh, temple? You heard of the Old Testament temple? Old, how about the Old Testament tabernacle? Does anyone know the difference? Which came first, the tabernacle or the temple? The tabernacle was first. Very good. Uh, basically, same idea. The tabernacle was like a temple on, on the go, right? Because they, they were wandering through the, the desert, and they needed to set up a place for worship. So they set up this portable thing with with uh, like a big tent, basically, but it, there's a lot of detail in how this tabernacle was set up. The temple was a permanent building built later uh, with lots of gold and, and all this stuff in it. Well, God actually gave, if you go in your Bibles and you look through uh, some of these early books in the Old Testament, God gave pages and pages and pages of specific instructions on how those places were to be built. And he didn't just say, you know what, as long as you mean it, just build a temple, make it pretty, play some good music, and we'll have worship. God was very specific. He said the color of the fabric you needed to use. He determined how thick it should be. He determined exact dimensions on the size of the room and how tall it should be. God determined the furniture that should be in it. 
and he had very specific furniture. He told them how to make it. He told them when you make this part of it, you can't build it with a bunch of pieces. You've got to build it out of one solid piece. And he had all of these pages and pages of very specific instructions on how the temple was to be built. And to us, we're like, well, why does God care so much about like fabric and gold? And uh, why, why did he give such specific instructions? On top of that, he not only told them specifically how to build this thing, he told them exactly how they were to worship by a system, a very complex, complicated system of sacrifices. Many times it would be um, uh, grain sacrifices or oil sacrifices or sometimes a sacrifice of animals. Um, in fact, there was a lot of sacrifice of animals. Like part of the Old Testament worship that God set up involved taking an animal in, slaughtering the animal, collecting its blood in a bowl, going and splattering blood on things. Like, like if you've, I don't know if you've been at a place where they, maybe back at the meat room at the grocery store, like where there's like a lot of blood around, there's kind of a smell, or if you've been on a farm where they do slaughtering, there was blood everywhere sometimes. Like, like God had the specific instruction of sacrificing the animals. Here's how you do it. Here's what you do with the blood. Sometimes you have a feast, like a barbecue, and I want you to eat this stuff together. Sometimes you, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to burn it all to a crisp until it's just ashes. He had all these rules for exactly how they were to do this very complicated system of worship. The Old Testament worship was not at all, you know, as long as your heart's in the right place, do whatever you want. Worship in your own way. It was worship in God's way. Very, very specific. Now, to us, that's kind of shocking. Was this a different God? Like, was it a different God in the Old Testament than in the New Testament? Let's get that question right. Was it a different God? No, same God. But things were very different with how he instructed Old Testament worshipers to worship. And us, we don't have a place to, to collect pools of animal blood in our worship center. Aren't you glad? Um, so things, things change, but it's the same God. Why did he care? There are some very good reasons. I'm going to turn to the book of Hebrews because what Hebrews does, one of my favorite books as a worship leader is the book of Hebrews. And one of my favorite little sections as a worship leader are Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10. Uh, I'm going to read some of that with you here tonight, but I'd encourage you just read chapters 8, 9, and 10 if you have some time. Just read them in one shot. Um, book of Hebrews. Could somebody help her find the book of Hebrews there? Thank you. So here, I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 9. And right here, they're looking back at the Old Testament and explaining some of this uh, sacrificial system. And here's what they said. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse uh, 1. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship. It had an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which there was a lampstand and a table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having this golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, I know it's an older movie because I'm an older guy. But uh, yeah, they had, they had this Ark of the Covenant covered in gold. It kind of looked like the one described in the Bible. That actually wasn't too far off. But anyway, yeah, Ark of the Covenant, if you've heard of that, this is part of what God prescribed. Um, inside that Ark, which is covered in, in melted gold, they melted all over it and, and covered it, 
There was a golden urn containing the manna, which was a miracle of God's provision for his people. There was Aaron's staff that budded. There's a cool story behind that. It was a miracle uh, where God said, Aaron is my leader, and this is a reminder to you, anyone who wants to be rebellious that Aaron is the, is the leader. Um, and the tablets of the covenant. You know what those are. Tablets of the covenant, otherwise known as Ten Commandments. Yeah, they're there in that ark. They're part of this place of worship, right? Above it with this cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And that these things we cannot speak in more detail. This is one paragraph that's just saying there's so much detail. We can't get into it all. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing the ritual duties, but, on the, but into the second, that holiest place, only the high priest goes, but just once a year, and he has to go taking blood when he goes in there. This high priest was only allowed into that most holy place once a year, and he had to go with some of that blood from the sacrifice. He wasn't allowed... Uh, to just go in there whenever he wanted. So this, great, this high priest went in there. Um, verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. I'm going to say that verse again. Uh, verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet opened. If we could boil down all of this complicated system of Old Testament worship, it communicated one big idea, that we are separated from God um, by sinfulness and that the way is not yet opened. Every one of those sacrifices was like a reminder. You're a sinner and those who sin actually deserve to die. That's the reminder. Um, The law was there to remind them, you know, you, you don't keep the law, neither do I, no one does. You're a sinner, and God is so holy that, you know, the penalty for that is, is death. So all of that death was around their worship to remind them that that's really what they deserved, that the way was not yet open. So here's this little list, again, a summary of what we just read. Uh, can you go back one, one slide, please, Brandon? So you have this earthly tent. You have a lampstand. Imagine being inside a very dark tent with all these oil lamps burning. You have the smells of the smoke of these oil lamps burning and the glow of the candle light or the lamp light reflecting off of all that gold. It would have been incredible. This table with this bread of the presence. All of this stuff was what God said, you have to do it this way. He said, you don't have a choice. You have to worship me this way. All the way down to that great high priest and, and even God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. It was, it was so powerful in the Holy of Holies that if anyone went in there, they would be struck dead, except for one exception, the high priest with some blood once a year as, a, as something that, that represented something else. So all of this, God was very specific about how they were to worship him. So what is going on? If this is the same God, why did so much change? Uh, Brandon, you can go to that next one. Here's what Old Testament worship teaches us. God is much more holy than we think he is. He's much more holy than we think he is. We underestimate how incredibly powerful and holy and good he is. And we overestimate ourselves and how worthy we are. Um, 
this Old Testament worship continued to remind the worshipers, God is more holy than, than, uh, than you think he is, and you are less worthy than you think you are to go in front of him. Um, all along, the only way they could try to worship God to go into his presence is they'd be struck dead. That's not a really great worship service. It's hard to invite your friends. You know, go in the presence of God and be struck dead. That was a little joke, guys. You could chuckle there. <laughs> struck dead. <laughs> but so it is a reminder of the holiness of God, the unworthiness of us. Um, in fact, there is this story of Uzzah. It's kind of a funny name. But in the Old Testament, one time uh, they had to move the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, when you move the Ark of the Covenant, here's my rules. You've got to put it on, on poles and lift it up and put it on the shoulders, and people are to carry it, but you cannot touch it because you would be, you'd be violating the holiness of God by touching that Ark, which represents the holiness of God. And they got a little bit lazy, and they said, well, let's just put it on a cart with wheels. You know, my shoulders hurt. So they put it on a cart with wheels, and they started pushing it. And lo and behold, they hit a bump, and it started to fall over. And this guy named Uzzah, trying to do the right thing, grabs the ark to keep it from falling. Now, do you think that God said, oh, Uzzah, you're, you're trying to protect the ark. Good deed for the day. No, Uzzah was struck dead like that. And it sent this message to everyone, like, don't mess around with the holiness of God. Um, it's not just, as long as you mean well, you're fine. He said, carry this thing, don't touch it. This is whole, that's how holy God is. Uzzah was not worthy to even touch the Ark of the Covenant that represented his holiness, and he was struck dead. Um, but this third reason of the Old Testament, uh, I don't know if it'll surprise you or not, part of the reason that God prescribed all of this stuff, build the tabernacle like this, and make it this big, make it look like this, and put these things in there. Make sure you have the bread of the presence. Make sure you have the ark. Make sure you have the tablets inside the ark. You know, he was very specific. Make sure you have these kind of sacrifices. Um, They all show a reality that's in heaven. They all represent a reality that's in heaven. Hebrews chapter 8. So if you're still there in Hebrews, just flip one chapter back. Um, Would someone read verses 1 through 5 loud and proud? Are you going to read them loud and proud, Hebrews 8? Okay, do it, Nate. I believe in you. Okay, pause there. The true tent, we have this high priest. Who is he talking about? Can you tell? Talking about Jesus. This is God. We have this great high priest, and we're talking about Jesus, in a tent that was not made by men. He's talking about the true tent. Isn't that what it says? Doesn't it say true tent? Yeah. yeah. This true tent, he's talking about in the heavenly realms, there's a real place. And this holy tabernacle that was built on earth represented a real holy place in heaven. Okay, you want to pick up from there, Nate? Verse 3? For every high priest? Is that where we are? Okay. Oh, sorry. For every high priest. 
Yeah, priest. Yep, priest at all. Okay, that's good right there. So they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So in other words, um, the re- one of the big reasons that God was very specific about how they built this thing is because it represents a different reality. It represents, it's like a map room that represents what's in heaven. Um, and all of those things that he had in their description were important. And... Um, so here we have uh, this, this copy or shadow of the heavenly things. Um, oh, yeah, a little bit more in that verse. Moses was about to, to erect the tent. He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So make sure you follow the pattern because you're not just making this up. You're actually representing a real place, not an earthly place. You're representing a heavenly place represented by the, the holiness of God, this holiest place, a place of his dwelling, a place of his relationship. So this holy, holy God gave us this, these very specific instructions. But the only way, the only person who was worthy to go into his presence was the great high priest. Okay? Um, now, flip over to chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. I'm going to read a little bit more here. Chapter... Chapter 9, yeah, just look over at chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not a tent made with human hands. See, there it is again. We're talking about a heavenly tent. It says the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation. He, Jesus, entered once for all. Can we all say once for all? Okay, Jesus entered the holy place in heaven, not the earthly tent, the heavenly tent, presence of God, once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats or calves or any of those animals, but by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, thus securing an eternal redemption. So what Jesus accomplished is much better than the whole Old Testament uh, system of sacrifices. That was just a little reflection of what's in heaven. It was a copy of what's in heaven. It was just a shadow. But the reality was all found when Christ came, entered into the real holy of holies in the presence of God by his own blood, so that the way is open now for us, once for all. Really, 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 really Really good news. Uh, over to chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never really take away sins. See, the, the Old Testament sacrifices, they were kind of like, they're okay, but they didn't really solve the problem. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Um, so this is a single offering, once for all, by his own blood, and now the way is open into the presence of a holy God. Notice something here. God did not become any less holy than he is in the Old Testament. God is just as holy today as he was then. 
But the only way that we can go into his presence is because of Jesus. By his own blood, once for all, it's opened, and he fulfilled it. Jesus is the provision, once for all, for all of us, for worship forever. He did it by being the perfect sacrifice. Brandon, could we go back to that um, slide that listed all the Old Testament items? Yes, thank you. You're way ahead of me. Um, This earthly tent or tabernacle. Didn't Jesus have an earthly tent, so to speak, in his body? Jesus is represented in this earthly dwelling place. A lampstand with with oil-burning lamps. The book of Revelation talks about the lampstand and how the the lamp is really the spirit of God, the light of God. Table with the bread of the presence. Do you know where Jesus was born? He was born in Bethlehem, which is Hebrew, Bethlehem. It's Hebrew for house of bread. Jesus at one point said, I'm the bread of life, right? So this this temple tells us about Jesus. Um, The curtain and the veil. In Hebrews, it says that uh, Jesus um, opened the way by his flesh, which, by the, the veil, which is his flesh. The veil was the meeting place between the holy and the unholy. And that's Jesus, again, the meeting place of the holy and the unholy. Um, the staff that budded, the tablets of God's word, didn't Jesus say, I am the living word, or he is the word, of, the living word of God? Um, isn't Jesus the great high priest? Right? He's the one who can enter into the presence of God. And he is God's holy presence. All of this stuff was all about Jesus. All through this Old Testament worship, it was pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to a Savior who would come and open the way so that we could worship God without dying. Isn't that great? Because without him, you couldn't do that. Um, It is impossible to worship except through the one way that God has provided, which is through, and and according to the terms that God has provided, which is through Jesus Christ. Because he represents the heavenly reality, and we don't just make it up on our own. We don't just make our own way. Imagine trying to worship God on our own terms. True worship of God must be on his terms, not on our terms. God gets to tell us what real worship is. We don't decide that because it represents something real in the spiritual realm. Okay, so if there's only, let me put it this way, there's only one way, one right way to worship God because there's only one way that he's provided. It's through Christ. That's it. All true worship is through Christ. Every single time, it's through Christ. It's the only way that God has provided. Sometimes people think that that's kind of exclusive and kind of mean. Do you guys think of that? I mean, is it, is it mean to, that God says, well, there's only one way and there's no other way? See, it reflects the only real way that God has provided. And the way that he's provided is through Christ. Because it's based on its real heavenly place. And his real sacrifice as he entered in by his own blood once and for all. It represents real salvation. Real worship is always through Christ. Um, All right, so that, that may seem exclusive, but it's actually really good news. And I'll tell you why. You are invited to worship God 
by faith. And let's think about what that means. That means you don't have to impress God to get to worship him. You don't have to be good enough to worship God. You don't have to like memorize a bunch of verses and climb a mountain and demonstrate your goodness and do 10 good deeds. And now you'll be allowed to see God. You can worship God as you are because it's through Christ and he's perfect. So that's the good news. You don't have to earn your place in front of God. You can be yourself. You can approach as, you're, as you are. Whether you're confused or sinful or whatever, you can still draw near to God in worship if it's through Christ, because that's the way he provided. Uh, one more, a couple more verses. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 22. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, again, these three chapters really put this all together, verses 19 through 22. Um, I'll read up to 22, and then all of you, can you read 20, verse 22 together out loud when I get there? Okay? So track with me. I'm going to read 19 to 21. We get to 22. You just start saying it out loud with me. Ready? Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, join me, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." All right, that was not too bad. Let us draw near. Do you realize that God is still holy? The God who struck Uzzah dead, he's just as holy today. But because of Jesus, he has invited you to draw near to him. Guys, listen to what I'm saying here. This, this is big. He's invited you to draw near to him. He didn't become less holy to make that happen. He's just as holy as ever. But if it's through Christ, you can draw near. That's the good news. Um, I might have uh, a little time for questions, Julio, in a bit. Can you, can you hold that thought? Okay. I'll come back to you. We can go into God's presence without dying because of Christ, and we're actually invited to draw near with confidence. That's amazing. See, as Christians, even as Christians, I think there's some wrong ways to approach worship. And I'm not talking about music style. I, I, I'm not really, I don't think God cares too much about music style. I really don't. But your worship should be through Christ. That's, that's really what matters. Here's one of the wrong ways we, we worship God. Uh, being self-righteous. Self-righteous means, God, I'm going to impress you because I'm such a good person and I smile so nice and I'm so nice to the people around me and I'm, and I'm good and I f feed babies and rescue puppies. You know, God, look at how impressive I am. I can worship you now. That's self-righteousness. Um, that's the wrong way to think I'm going to impress God so that he can, he can do me a favor and do something for me. That's the wrong way to approach it because Jesus wouldn't have come if we could do that. 
If we could approach God on our own, then, then we wouldn't, he wouldn't have needed to come. Another experiential is a wrong way to approach worship. And here's what I mean. If I say the magic words and I do the magic dance and we get the lighting in the worship center just right and maybe we'll release a little bit of fog and we'll get things, you know, just right in the right tone and we'll have the right, you know, one of those Nord Electro pianos that can lay down a really nice pad sound, then the Holy Spirit's going to show up and he's going to give me goosebumps. Right? That's going to be real worship. Worship is not about experiential. That's, that's not the right way to approach worship. Worship is always through Christ. Now, I, I'm, I'm a worship leader, so we work hard as musicians to play well. We try not to distract people by playing a lot of wrong notes. We try to be sensitive to get out of the way of people's attention and to encourage them, give an opportunity to pray and to sing and to participate in worship. But it's not the experience that we're seeking. It's through Christ. If it's not through Christ, you can be as well-meaning as you want, but you're stuck on the wrong side of the veil. It's through Christ, always. Um, another way, wrong way to approach worship is very independent, where we think, you know what, God, I'm going to worship you my way. And my way involves, you know, we just make stuff up. You know, like the guy who told me he sees angels in the clouds and, and he prays to them and that's how he worships. He's making that up. He didn't get that from God. It's just his imagination. We don't imagine how to worship. We look at scripture and we see there's only one way provided to worship and that's through Christ. Um, so how do we rightly worship in the right way oh yes i didn't get to that i'm sorry thank you for pointing that out and this is this is one of my favorite fake ways sorry favorite wrong ways to worship is to be fake is to to be a hypocrite to act like well i am worthy of worshiping god because i'm good to act like someone you're not by hiding and ignoring your problems and hiding and ignoring your own sin to just act spiritual God loves you too much. That's not what he has for you. He has you take the reality of who you are, and you're still invited to draw near. So let's say, let's say that I was a, a real jerk to my family, you know, which happens sometimes. So, sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes I'm selfish and I act like a jerk. and that's, it's, that's sin, right? What should I do when it's Sunday morning and it's time to go worship God? I could ignore it, just, just put it away, pretend it's not real, and just go and worship God. Or I could, or I could try to like fix myself first so that I become worthy of worship, but that's not good either because then I think I can fix myself. I don't need Jesus. But what we've been invited to do is to take our sin as part of our, part of our worship and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Would you please forgive me for this? And then make it part of how you worship God. It's more real. It's more honest. You know, God loves us so much, he lets us worship honestly. Because as you look around on a Sunday morning, you know what? Not a single one of those people is perfect. Not a single one. But we're still invited to draw near through Christ. Gospel-centered, good news worship goes like this. You say, I'm a sinner. I know that God knows it. 
I know that I know it, and I don't have to hide. Every secret, I'm just going to take it to his feet. In Christ, I have total forgiveness. Through Christ, I'm clean. His sacrifice was enough. Once for all, right? We all said that. Once for all, it's enough. His sacrifice for you is enough. Um, I'm already clean in God's eyes through Christ. So by faith, I don't have to earn my place. I'm invited to draw near. God welcomes me. He reveals to me who he is. He teaches me what he's like. And, I respond, and he doesn't kill me, which is great. You know, like I love that. I love not getting killed. Uh, so I can, I can enter into this holy presence of a holy God and be welcomed there. And he's like, hey, you belong here. Your citizenship is here. You're my child. I love you. I know that you're a sinner, but I've already made provision for all of it. Through Christ, you can draw near. You don't have to pretend it's not there. And my response to him is reverence and awe and thankfulness and love and joy. And that's, that's worship. I offer my life in an increasing devotion to Christ and his kingdom as an act of worship. So this is what the gospel has to do with worship. This is the one right way to worship God. It's not about a music style. It's not about when a song was written. It's not about acting a certain way. It's not about a certain experience. It's about this. It's about the gospel, about drawing near because of the gospel. What did you uh, have to say, Julio? Did you have a question? Do you remember? It was a while ago. Okay. Well, maybe I answered it. Okay. But if you do have a question, and seriously, if any of you do, I'd love to talk to you. Um, maybe, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. So here's the thing. Every time you spend time worshiping God, let me ask you to remind yourself, whether it's a song or a prayer or a scripture reading or whatever it is, it's always through Christ. There'd be no other way. There's no other open door. But through Christ, you have total and complete forgiveness, and God invites you to draw near. And because of Christ, you're welcome there. Good news. Any thoughts, questions? All right. You'll have a chance in your, uh, in your groups to talk about what that means, the right way and the wrong way to worship. Can I pray for you? All right. Let's, uh, if you'd pray with me, let's just be quiet for a second. I'm going to pray. Uh, you guys have been really, really attentive. I appreciate it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for loving us. And even before even before we had the chance to love you back, you loved us first. You sent Christ while we were still sinners, and we hated you, and you still sent Christ to rescue us and to make a way so that we could enter once for all into the holiest place imaginable, um, that real holy place in heaven. We thank you that Jesus is our great high priest. We thank you that he is the, the provision. We thank you that he is the sacrifice, that he is the um, he's the bread of life, he's the word of life, he's the presence of God, and we get all of that when we worship through Christ. Um, I pray that every time we sing, Lord, we wouldn't be trying to impress you, we wouldn't try to put on some kind of a fake uh, hypocrisy, but just in the reality of who we are, we would humble ourselves and worship through our Savior. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.